Welcome to In Your Lane Podcast with Richard Lane, where faith and culture intersect. We discuss a myriad of topics on this tour, In Your Lane. We'll ride along and talk about everyday events that affect our society, culture, and our daily lives. From time to time, we will make some pit stops and pick up some guests that we call passengers who will join us from all walks on this journey. There'll be faith leaders from all denominations, business leaders, politicians, and everyday people just like you and I. We're trying to navigate this cruise that we call life. So welcome, sit back, buckle up, and let's roll in your lane. Welcome to In Your Lane. I am your host, Richard Lane. I want to thank you for joining us on this wonderful episode. We got a great podcast for you today, and uh, I want to just say thank you very much to my wonderful guest for joining us. But before we do that, I just want to say thank you to all the wonderful listeners out there. Please go to In Your Lane. Please search for In Your Lane podcast on Apple Music, Spotify. Spotify, as well as SoundCloud, and just do a search for In Your Lane Podcast, all one word, and you will be able to pick up all of the wonderful, all the previous episodes. We had some great episodes uh, dealing with race, dealing with um, a lot of the controversy that's going on right now, uh, especially with the uh, George Floyd situation as well as so many others. We've talked a little bit about Black Lives Matter, the the um, organization versus Black Lives Matter, the movement, and we might get into that a little bit with my guest today. But um, we, I want to, again, thank you very much for the support. Uh, if you would like to donate, if you would like to sponsor an episode or two or three, please do so. Please send an email to in your lane, in your lane podcast at gmail.com. That's in your lane podcast at gmail.com. Just send me a, uh, an information, send me some information on if you would like to sponsor or if you would like to have some other guests. Uh, on just shoot me an, uh, shoot me an email if you would like to donate please go to richardlaneministries.com forward slash donate that's richardlaneministries.com forward slash donate one thing before I get to my before I get to my guest I want to just kind of talk very briefly about a situation that came up a couple weeks ago um, you know I am I am a uh, I used to be a NASCAR fan back in the day. I guess I'm old. Uh, my birthday's coming up. I'll be 55 years old, and I guess I'm I'm now that old guy that's just talking about you know you young whippersnappers and everything else, and sitting on the porch, smoking a cigar, you know, and just talking about folk. But you know, I really did like NASCAR back in the day when I was a kid. You know, we had Richard Petty and Terry Labonte and all those guys, and it was really good seeing that. And then I kind of got off of the bandwagon after, you know, Rusty Wallace retired. Uh, Dale Earnhardt Sr. Dude was just a beast on the track. Um, and so I kind of stopped uh, watching NASCAR. But now I'm a NASCAR fan. I'm a 43 fan. I'm a Richard Petty fan. 
a Richard Petty racing fan. I'm also a huge Bubba Wallace fan right now. For those of you who don't know, Bubba Wallace is the only African-American NASCAR driver on the pro circuit right now. And a few weeks ago, there was at one of the races, I believe it was Talladega. Yes, it was Talladega. The Talladega 400 or 500 in, in Talladega, Alabama. This was right when President, uh, not President Trump, but when uh, the NASCAR banned the Confederate flag. NASCAR banned the the flying of the stars and bars at all of its events uh, from now on, which I believe personally is a good thing. Um, and I'm going to explain that very briefly because what this – what the swastika is to Jews is what the stars and bars is to most Americans, uh, African-Americans. I'll say that again. The swastika is to Jews what the stars and bars is to African-Americans. It represents a culture. It represents, uh, it represents slavery. It represents oppression. Uh, that flag was weaponized, if you will, against African-Americans. Uh, just like when you see the, uh, when you see the, the white hoods, you know, the, the Ku Klux Klan was weaponized against black people because they wanted to scare them from voting. And so, um, you know, and they used a lot of that Confederate flag. Now that might that might represent some history to certain people, but for certain people of my color, uh, of my ethnic group, it really doesn't uh, mean it doesn't mean peace. It doesn't mean harmony. Um, it represents dis discontentment. Uh, it represents slavery. Uh, it represents oppression. Uh, and that's the way a lot of African-Americans feel about that flag. Um, and so when they banned that, Bubba Wallace was at the um, was at the race and they found a noose on his garage door. Initially, it was reported that there was just a noose found in his garage. And now out of the 55 garages there or maybe a thousand different garages there, why was it the only African-American uh, in the race? It was just found in his garage um, later on. So they sent the FBI in. I want to thank 45 for doing that. 45 sent the FBI in just like he sent the FBI in to uh, uh, to investigate the George Floyd. Uh, situation. I want to give credit where credit is due. Even though I have some issues, I want to make sure I give credit where credit is due. Um, and so they went in and they did an investigation and they found that 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 noose had been just used as a door pull to pull the garage down, pull the garage door down. And so there was no uh, there was nothing bad going on. And so I'm glad and thankful on behalf of NASCAR that NASCAR got out in front of this uh, initially. And so big ups to NASCAR, big ups to, to Bubba Wallace, and big ups to all of the other uh, crews 
as well as the other drivers because at the beginning of the race, they all marched with Bubba Wallace in solidarity. And it was so wonderful to see all of these drivers, all of these crews, which are 99.999% white, uh, they all got behind this one African-American man who has been wearing the mask that says Black Lives Matter, who has been wearing the shirt that says Black Lives Matter. Heck, they even put Black Lives Matter on the car a couple of weeks ago and painted the car black. So, um, again, big ups to NASCAR, big ups to Bubba Wallace. I'm a huge Bubba Wallace fan. If somebody out there wants to send me a Bubba Wallace hat or a number 43 hat, I'll wear it. Somebody want to hook a brother up. HBO. You know, I'm all about HBO hooking a brother up. So, um, oh, wait. Yeah. Helping. The, I'm sorry. That's see. That's my my. I went to Detroit public schools with a K It's HBO. Help a brother out, not hook a brother up. Amen. See, y'all know I get a little bit uh, beside myself. Anyway, let's get on to today's episode. This young lady. Uh, I, I was on Instagram a couple of weeks ago, and either I saw it or somebody else sent it to me and said, you really have to listen to what this young lady has to say. Um, it Her name is Linda B., and if she wants to give out her uh, Instagram ID, I'll let her do that. I'm not going to send. I'm not going to put her on blast like that. Every all my, you know, next day, next next morning, she wakes up. She says, "I got a hundred new foxy." I'm not that famous, you know. But um, it was a wonderful, wonderful interview. A wonderful, um, uh, a wonderful video that she made, and it was about being black, being Catholic, and being pro-life, uh, being a black pro-life Catholic, uh, and, and what really goes on with that. So with that being said, I want to welcome Linda B. to In Your Lane. How are you, dear? I am doing well. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. So thanks for giving me this opportunity to talk with you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. You know, it's, it was so funny the other day you, you mentioned, you said, uh, I didn't realize you were that Richard Lane. I'm like, yeah, I'm the notorious one. <laughs> yes. and, you know, I have to ask you, have you ever done any speaking at like the pro-life marches on the West Coast in California? I did not speak at the pro-life march in the West Coast, but I was actually on stage uh, a few years ago. Um, the, in, in San Francisco, I was on stage with Reverend Childress as well as, uh, Reverend Walter Hoy. I did do one in, um, in Oakland the day before though. I was at that one. That's where I was. My friend and I who attended the pro-life march. Really? Yes. And I, and that's why I think it's amazing because I remember listening to you and thinking of that man's amazing. I need to meet him. <laughs> You know, through the time I've seen some of this, the times you speak and your passion for the Lord and for our church and everything, you know, professing, you know, the, the truth that Jesus brings to everybody. And so it's just kind of crazy when you messaged me. Initially, I didn't realize it was you. So when I was like, it's me, Richard Lane. This is great. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Well, I want to thank you for being with us. Um, and let's let's jump deep into this. You know, let's talk about... Uh, first of all, your video that you made, it was part of a 
Um, I'm going back to this. It's part of a um, uh, a group of people called, or a group that's called Share the Mic. Tell us a little bit about hashtag Share the Mic. So Share the Mic, from what I understand, because I'm also new to the Instagram world, um, it's it's a hashtag and a movement really that's allowing people to amplify, amplify voices of people who usually are not heard. So, for example, women of color. Um, and in this particular case, white Catholics or many other Catholics on Instagram wanted to give black women a chance to share the mic by taking over their Instagram account and mm-hmm. posting videos, answering questions, sharing whatever information they wanted to share to let our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are not black get a better sense of what it's like being a black person in this country, being a Catholic in our church and things like that. So when I was invited to do it, I almost said no, actually. <laughs> I was so scared. Um, but ultimately, I felt really convicted. I've been passionate about this for so long. And I thought, this is a great opportunity. I'm thankful to be up to be, that's been given to me. Mm-hmm. And so let me go ahead and use my voice to, to share to other people what this is like. <laughs> so Good. You know, it's... It's so interesting. I get a lot of people that ask me, what can I do? What can I do to help in this particular struggle? And you hit the nail on the head right then and there. You said it. Let me go ahead and use my voice. There are so many people out there that have the opportunity to use their voice or platforms that don't use their voice, that don't speak up and speak out about the issues Um, And just like you, I'm black, I'm Catholic, uh, I'm pro-life. Let let me get into this real quick, first of all, first and foremost. Um, I have an issue, or let me ask you, how do you feel when somebody approaches you and says, well, I don't understand why you have to call yourself a black Catholic. I don't see color. Mm. What does that make you? How does that make you feel as a as a as a woman of color or Catholic? Nine out of ten times, it's usually a white individual saying that, um, and I would tell them that's a perfect example of the luxury or privilege that we're referring to when we say that white people have a privilege, because you get to move and live in a world that literally is set up where you get to be the norm. And where your skin color isn't something that factors into any difficulties or problems you have. Not saying you don't have any, but you get to live in a world where you're told you're a person, do whatever you want. As a black individual who has experience living in this country and a country where everyone's black, because my family is from Cameroon. I'm a first generation American, but I spent four years, my middle school years in Cameroon. Mm-hmm. In Cameroon, I knew what they meant because everyone looked like me. Everyone, the villains and, and, and the heroes looked like me. Wow. Okay. Um, Then I came back to America, and at some point, there was no knock on the door or envelope that was sent to me, but at some point, it was made clear in things that were said, that were inferred, that, oh, I'm Black, and my Blackness means something. And so I would tell that person, it's not so much that I am obsessed with my color. It's more that I've had to navigate this world in this country with my color always being imposed on me and not in a positive way. Mm. So not only am I fighting for my space as a Black person, I'm also having to reaffirm the goodness of my blackness because it's always being reminded to me that I'm black and it means X, Y, Z. And it never means anything like you're black and you were made in the image of God. It's you're black and black people are this. Black people are that. Africans are this. Africans are that. And you just have to constantly break down stereotypes um, and feel like you have to earn your place. As a, as a dentist, I, I've experienced that firsthand. 
getting mm. into college and a white girl didn't get in that was in my class and the, all of a sudden we went from being friends to oh it's because you're black you know and wow. just there's so many layers to that and i think what i would like individuals who say that when they say i don't see color or why are you calling yourself black i would tell them i want you to see my color i want you to see it i want you to affirm it i want you to appreciate it and i want you to recognize that your color is affording you the luxury we did not see color exactly what a beautiful thing Mothers who have black sons can't say, oh, I don't see color. They have to say, sweetie, don't wear a hoodie. Don't go jogging in the funny place. Exactly. You have to tell your, your, your black daughters, hey, sweetheart, your hair is beautiful. Elsa's fine, but you're beautiful just the way you are. Why do we have to have these combos? Because we live in a society that does not affirm that and, in fact, says the opposite. Very true. And, I, I th you know, this is the first time in, I'm 55 years old. This is the first time since i was probably 18 that i've worn an afro so, <laughs> so I, I think i'm gonna keep it you know it's it's a it's it's due to the covid and everything else but it's like you know it reminds me you know what yeah my i'm, I'm proud of my afro uh i like my afro i love my afro um you know because it's who i am and i think that we as African-Americans uh, are so proud of our brothers and sisters, especially when they achieve some level of success. Uh, before, uh, when we were, before this interview and I asked you what you did for a living, you said you were a dentist. And I was like, oh, my goodness. You know, it's so, it makes me feel so good to see a black woman who is a dentist, you know, it's because I know the type of I know the hard work that you had to put in. Uh, I told you I have a couple of brothers that I went to Morehouse with that are black doctors as well that are dentists as well. And, you know, you, you have a lot of people that go through dental school and become doctors, but they don't understand the struggles that people of color have to go through. And how many times have you ever been asked in your office where the dentist is or if you're a oh. dental or if you're a dental assistant? If I could put a tattoo on my head that said, I am the dentist. And when I tell you, hi, my name is Dr. So-and-so. I wasn't kidding. <laughs> right. Um, and that gets into dynamics of being a woman and being black. It's I've had patients who, when I diagnose treatment, they requested to speak to, if I was working with a white male at the time, they'd want to speak to him to get his opinion and things like that. Oh my goodness. And so it's those kind of things that, and I will say women who are white experience this too, I will say, but there's an added layer when you're a black woman. It's just, you know, there's just, there's just a lot of different things you have to deal with. Um, being, being a, like people assuming that you're the assistant mm -hmm. versus the doctor. It's, mm -hmm. it's very frustrating. And my friends who were in medicine and dentistry and pharmacists, you get this, all the time. It's really, it's really frustrating. <laughs> so. I remember um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to come to speak to a group of wealthy black, uh, wealthy Catholics. And um, it's a, it's a group of all white Catholics. Um, there were, and I was the only uh, African American in the room that had a suit on. And there were some other servers there. And mm. so Normally what I do before I get up and do my talk, it's the, 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 the dessert talk, if you will, or the salad talk. And so I'll get up and I'll work the room and I'll go around and I'll introduce myself to people and shake their hands and find out their names and make them feel welcome. Well, one guy 
says, uh, he says, oh, it's so nice to meet you. He says, thank you very much. He says, do me a favor and please tell your wait staff that they did a wonderful and excellent job. I said, <laughs> no, you didn't. I said, you know, I said, I will make certain that I tell the wait staff that they did an excellent job. He says, thank you very much. So I just continued to do what I do, do what I did. And then when they introduced me as the keynote speaker, I made certain I looked dead in his eyes. And his eyes just got he was like, huge. No. He turned ghostly white. And I said, on behalf of one of our get or one of our guests tonight i just want to make sure that i compliment the wait staff that is perfect <laughs> oh gosh you're probably like i won't do that again yes exactly and so it was a way of sarcasm but a way of you know kind of ribbing somebody and say hey don't sit up here and categorize everyone you know right. don't think of that nate of that way um Tell, so are you a are you a cradle Catholic or are you uh, a convert? I am a cradle Catholic who experienced the miraculous reversion to my faith. So born and raised Catholic, you know, raised to love Our Lady, pray the rosary, go to mass. Um, I still have fond memories of praying the rosary. I'm being told to get up early when I was young, but <laughs> I thank my mom and dad for doing that. <laughs> I will say like a lot of people, I fell away, you know, when I was in college. Um, and I was not going to mass that much. Then I went to residency and I really was like, oh, the mass was so boring. And I would go to these Protestant sort of non-denominational worship sessions, but then I would still find myself finding the adoration chapel near my house. Mm. Um, and so, Shortly after that, right before Christmas 2013, the Holy Spirit convicted me. God called me back to, to, to him. He called me back to confession. And I was this girl, like, on one end, my heart was saying, you need to get up, go to the nearest confession, and get ready to receive Christ properly, right? Okay. But then part of me was like, but I'm still pro-abortion, and I still go this way and this way and this way. And God was like, it's okay. Just follow me. Just trust me. And as I now knew the truth and felt convicted, I had to let my humility allowing me to realize, well, God's right and I'm wrong. So I've got to do that work to get to where he's at. And he loved me all the way there. So I'm very passionate about these issues. I know what it's like to, to have a negative view of the church. And I know mm -hmm. what it's like also to oppose the church because you view it as this sort of historically oppressive sort of part of the story, mm -hmm. which unfortunately okay. right now it's not doing a good job of coping against the spell. That isn't. No, <laughs> so, not really. Um, yeah. Before we get into the pro-life portion of this, you mentioned that you fell away uh, right around college. What were some of the things that you, uh, what were some of the reasons or, or why'd you, why'd you wind up falling away from your faith? Ooh, well, whenever I look back on that, I remember what I would say when you go to college, it's interesting. It's a new world. You're away from your parents. You're very impressionable. Um, and I, I found that I had professors who were brilliant in their own right, but some of these people have their own ideas, their own things they're trying to impart. And so if I took a course that was a, a from a teacher who didn't like Christianity, I remember specifically leaving thinking, oh, he's teaching me that Christianity is terrible. Mm -hmm. And that was really the gist of it. Actually, I'll never forget. I walked out the class like, wow, I didn't know my, my religion is so bad. I'm so glad I now realized. And then I was learning about how, you know, these certain ideas that are taught by the church are backwards. Like talk about marriage and gender and all of this stuff. And so it was just really, but then I was also being taught things that really appealed to me, like helping the underserved and all that stuff. But mm -hmm. You know, mixed in with that was just being a 
a college student who's just, you, you know, you get there, you're talking to Christ every day. Next thing you know, you're making bad decisions, maybe going out and, you know, like not going to church on Sunday because you were out with your friends, salsa dancing or something the night before. And <laughs> it gets easier to just make excuses not to go to mass. I had a human center. I just wasn't interested in it. And, you know, I just, I fell away like a lot of people. It's okay. sometimes tempting. It's tempting to, to believe the lie you're being told in the world mm-hmm. um, that it's okay to, to do what feels good and do whatever you want. And Jesus Christ is a crutch or he, you can still like him, but just, you know, not on Sunday, you know, or whatever. Right, it was right. really, a lot of that happened. And my heart began to harden and things like that from on a lot of teachings of the church. And, I, and even though I had gone to Catholic school most of my life, I think just like any topic, if you stop learning mathematics in kindergarten, it's, you're not gonna get far. If you, you have right. to constantly revisit math. As you get older, you're expected to sort of delve in with the maturity and understanding that you have at that age and mm-hmm. at that level of comprehension. I think with faith, we treat it more like, I'm Italian and I'm Catholic. You know, like it's, it's just treated like a cultural thing for a lot of people if they don't proactively try to learn and understand and move from the milk to the meat and all of that, you right, know, like right. your own one, not just something your parents have imparted on you. I always say, you know, Catholics are the, the box checkers. You know, you get a child that's born, you check the baptism box. Baptism? You know, the next box is confirmation or the next box is, is reconciliation or first Eucharist, you know, and you just keep on going down the line until you, you finally check that final box and you say, okay, all my boxes are checked. I'm a good Catholic. I don't yes. have to do anything else. You know, right. and a lot of our, <clears throat> our young people treat confirmation as a rite of passage. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, well, I'm done. I've done everything my parents have told me to do. I'm done. Time served. Good early release for time served. You know, yes. I'm gone. <laughs> yes. um, but fortunately, you had a wonderful reversion. Um, let's get into, you mentioned that you were pro-abortion at one time. Was it Was it really you were pro-abortion or you just didn't understand what uh what abortion i and i'm asking this because at yeah. my time when i first i i became catholic on april 19 2003 and i wouldn't say that i was quote unquote pro abortion um at that particular time being raised as an african-american in this nation you know <clears throat> it was kind of the unwritten thing if you will you know if you wound up getting somebody pregnant, then that was just, you know, you just, you go take care of it. Um, that's just how it was. It wasn't that, you know, oh, we didn't use it as a form of, uh, as a form of birth control. We didn't, we weren't advocating for that, but it was just something that we never really thought about, never really talked about, uh, until I was asked in 2006, to do something for my church, and then I, I start. I really started thinking about it. What was it for you? What was that that tipping point for you? So I went to when I got to college. I was pro life. I wasn't like active in the pro life ministry per se, but I would have said no. I don't think. I think every baby you know deserves to live. Okay. Um, take me some of the courses I took in college. Um, it just, I, I was learning about um, the history of sexism and misogyny and everything. And I know a lot of people who tend to try and 
um, feminism will always use these examples. So I, I want to make it clear that I, I do believe that there are problems with sexism in the world. But once again, as an impressionable student, when you have professors who seem to be willing to push a very strong agenda, right? Right. right. They, will give, they will give you truths, but then they also start telling you, well, this is how I think it should be fixed. Um, and I felt very passionate about helping the underserved. I felt very passionate about women. I felt very passionate about making sure that all people, which is ironic because babies are people, the unborn are people, but I, I, my compassion was misguided is what I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, and so a lot of the, I specifically remember taking some courses and becoming very much like, oh, I'm so angry about this system, the patriarchy, da, 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 you know, kind of went a little far. <laughs> and I guess that's a personality thing because I, right now I, I'm really all for Jesus and I'm really like intense about it. But, you know, I actually did almost applied to volunteer for an organization and one of their big platforms was abortion you know so i i I was i was the kind of person who was really passionate about it and i I was very persuasive and trying to explain to you why you should be pro-choice and i really felt like pro-life people represented oppression towards women and this sense of leaving a woman and abandoning her when she's pregnant and telling her to raise a child that you know i just had that view but Mm -hmm. i'll tell you what began as that misguided compassion led to a heart and so it got to the point where my heart was so hardened that I actually remember, and I'm, I'm ashamed to say it, but I remember making the comment, I mean, even if God doesn't like when women have abortion, he understands. And I mean, now I look back, I'm like, are you kidding me? But that just shows you, just like with racism, when you have a hardened heart, some of the stuff you're willing to, to, to not see and the stuff you're willing to accept, mm-hmm. it's not of God. It's a darkened intellect, you know? So yeah, I was definitely, by God's grace, I never got into that organization. But think about it, the fact that I was applying to work there to help right. women know that abortion was part of the platform, God protected me because I would have, I can't imagine if I had gotten involved with anything like that. But I had good intentions, just misguided ones. So I'm very passionate about the whole abortion topic. I have a lot of compassion for pro-choice people. I, I feel like I can relate to a lot of them. And I think a lot of them, the hangups they have, you know, it's something that you can talk to people more and witness in a different life. Why so. is it that we have, and I'm and I'm talking from my own experience, why is it that we as Catholic pro-lifers don't have, you mentioned the word, a lot of compassion for pro-choicers? I have, I've actually had to put some of my quote-unquote friends on Facebook on snooze uh, for a few weeks because I'm so sick and tired of hearing their rhetoric. There's no yeah. compassion. There's no compassion. It's just they vilify people. And, you know, is am I wrong in assuming that, or does somebody else see that? I hate to say it. I mean, that's what prompted me to write my post my video. Like I said, I have been really appalled, and I had already been getting appalled by the things I was seeing prior to this. Like just from the moment I reverted and was very active in the pro life movement. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I've had experiences working with people who are leaders in this movement posting racist memes and just it was just really it it started to be very jarring to me just to see this and um i i think that the pro-life movement as it is right now in this country i will say this fighting for the unborn is a very righteous cause Mm -hmm. i will not there there's a lot of good that's come out of it in terms of attention being given to the unborn and pressure being put on certain people to legislate and things like that with that being said what I began to see while I was in the church and uh, coming back into the church and what I'm seeing now affirms what I think a lot of pro-choicers were saying. I, 
you can just, people can dismiss it by saying, oh, they're just saying that because they're pro-abortion. No, there's a lot of hypocrisy in the pro-life movement. It is yes. not a whole life movement. It's not a holistically pro-life movement. And I will even say, and this may be controversial, when they are talking about black babies and their photos of black babies, they're using them as props. Because yes. they cannot care for a black baby. I agree for that. I agree. About yes. that black child out the womb. Trayvon Martin, I'm not over that. I'm not over that. I'm still wondering how that happened. And I'm wondering how pro-lifers were supporting George Zimmerman. I'm still (laughs) wondering how people who are pro-life, priests, lay people who are pro-life, and that's all their ministry is, are are spreading videos of people who dehumanize George Floyd. And there's a disconnect. And I think I had to step back and realize I... I can see the good in the pro-life movement. I can acknowledge it. I can affirm it. But I can also say that they are doing a lot of damage for the pro-life movement and for the rest of the whole life movement when it comes to acknowledging the, the dignity of people who are born and who happen to not be white. Right. <laughs> you know, Didn't, it's easy to love an unborn black baby, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Because you're because you're not going to you're not going to take care of that unborn black baby. Right. You're not going to so. take care of it. All you're going to do is just add it to. I remember years ago, I did a pro-life talk and um, it was very controversial. And they it was supposed to be one of these rah, rah, we're pro-life uh, people. There was like 500 people there. Um, or if not at that, it was not about 750. And it was their fundraising. I was the fundraiser. I was the keynote. And it was supposed to be their rah-rah dinner fundraising, you know, look at how many babies we've saved and and uh, everything else, and everybody's given all that stuff. And I said, and so I got up and I did my, my keynote, and I said, how many people have adopted children here? And they all raised their hand. Yay, we adopted children. They raised their hands. Yay. I said, how many of you have adopted children from overseas? And they raise their, oh, yay, I've got a Russian baby. I've got a, a, a Chinese baby. I went to Africa, and, and I adopted some African babies. And I said, how many of you have adopted African-American babies? Mm-hmm. Nobody raised their hand. Mm-hmm. Nobody raised their hand. And I said, so you would rather spend $20,000 or $50,000 to go halfway around the world and adopt another child, but yet you don't feel like an African-American child, an African-American life is worth adopting. And it was total silence. You know, you don't feel like uh, that, that, uh, that it's worth your time and your effort, but yet you will come into our our neighborhoods you'll come into the african-american neighborhoods and you'll pick it and you'll you'll pray at our abortion clinics you will come and you will preach to us during the middle of the day and tell us how bad we are because we're democrats and because we're pro because you assume that we're all pro-abortionists you know but yet you won't give us that compassion you won't the majority of you will not try to adopt an African-American baby that comes with issues. You know, now I'm not saying that everybody is like that. Definitely not. I have traveled the, the country. I know some wonderful people 
in the United States of America, Catholics that have adopted African-American children. I could, you know, I know a family in Idaho. I know some all over the world, all over the country. Uh, But one of the things that just bothers me is that there is no compassion. You know, you, you, George Floyd, I thought was supposed to be afforded some dignity, but then you have someone like, and if somebody else sends me, I'm going to tell you this right now, not you, anybody, if y'all send me another Candace Owens video, I promise you, I will delete you forever. I really will. You know, Candace Owens, I don't know her. But I know what she said, and she lost me as soon as she started judging and condemning George Floyd. You can't tell me, you know, there was a good thief on the cross. There was two thieves on the cross, and both of them deserved to die, but Jesus didn't. But the one thief, St. Dismas, asked Jesus if he could be with him in paradise. Jesus didn't ask him what felony he committed, because obviously he was getting a death penalty. So he must have committed a horrible felony. Jesus didn't ask him if he was baptized. Jesus didn't ask him if he had gone through the sacrament of confirmation. Jesus didn't even ask him if he had had last rites. Right. Jesus welcomed him into paradise. And I feel that that's the issue, Linda, is that we don't have that compassion. And that's what really hit me about your video is you finally, finally somebody else that looks like me, that talks like me, that has gone through the same issues that I have gone through, understands that there is a that there is a disconnect in the pro-life movement. A huge disconnect. That video you just talked about, which was traumatizing to watch, and I and I do know Candace Owens. I've seen a lot of her work. Um, but whatever, I, I will say, my friend and I were talking the other day. She's also a Black Catholic, and she and I attended that that march actually in Oakland. Um, it was our first and last. But um, anyways, it was pretty. Was, it was. It got. It got bad. Yeah. That march got really bad uh, because I remember it, that when that was with Dr. Alveda King. And they yeah. actually had to put us in. They had to put us in a couple of police cars because we start people again. These, uh, the no, these were the pro-abortion uh, people. They were they were throwing urine at us. They were throwing feces at us. Yeah. yeah, it got nasty. But when I say it was my last, I marched in D.C. I marched there, and then I didn't go anymore because I began to see all the racism that I was that was coming out of pro-lifers. That's mm. for me why I had to stop. Because I was willing to go and take that heat and be in that scary situation because of my conviction that God had put in my heart, that I still have in my heart, that the unborn are people like everybody else. And when you dehumanize them and you take away their rights like that, that's not of God. And it doesn't live up to the Constitution that this country says about all men being created equal. Granted, when that was written, Black people weren't included in that, right? So we're still trying to live up to that. But we should still strive to live up to that for the unborn and the born. Um, But I will say my friend and I were talking and she made a good point. She said, you know what, Linda, it really hurts me that I have white Catholic friends who I've known for years. We've shared each other's lives. We've helped each other, eaten in each other's homes. We've had a relationship. They know me. They know that I'm a devout Catholic and they know I'm a black woman. When all these things are going on, they don't pick up the phone to say, oh, I want to hear what you're going through. I've seen that you're hurt from some things you've posted. I would really love to better understand through your eyes what your experience is. She said, instead, they send her, oh, check out this Candace Owens video. 
Exactly. Video of a woman who you've never met, you don't know, she has no credentials whatsoever backing her up. And you're condescending on your black friend that you've done all your life to tell your black friend, oh, here is what's really going on with the race. Here is where well, you're supposed you to. Yeah, this is what you're supposed to feel. This right. is the type of black person you're supposed to be. You're not right. supposed to be the radical, you know, thinking outside the box black person. It just, to me, like you said, when you bring it to empathy, I am not saying you have to overnight say you agree with any and everything, but but when you're looking at this from a human point of view, if you have a brother and sister in Christ who is black and they are hurting, I think if you're leading with love, you will just be worried about them right. and you will want to see how they're doing. You will want to hear what kind of experiences they're saying have caused them pain in this country and in this church. But when you're when you're but when you're blinded because of so many of the lies that that we've been told in our history classes and in the bubbles you may get on YouTube or whatnot, add that to the spiritual aspect of racism and how sin darkens your intellect. So we have this communal sin mm -hmm. that this country had was founded on. Okay, blood being shed, just like in the abortion clinic, you shed the blood of a child. That that opens up to evil spirits. You're shedding the blood of Native Americans. You're you're shedding the blood of Hello. Africans. It's all part of that, and it's part of this country's sin. I think that's how you start to get people who are your friends, who you have had a relationship with, your kids to play with theirs. And then when this thing happens, they're sending you videos of a person who's literally ripping George Shred, basically saying, hey, let me tell you why he has no dignity. Let me tell you why we shouldn't mourn for him. Right. You know, like, I mean, we should mourn for him, but we shouldn't. And let me tell you why. Like all the gaslighting in that video, it was just asinine. It, that video was disgusting. It was. And I think we need to fast and pray for Candace. I have a lot of, I really hate the hatred that she spreads and the lies she spreads, but I also feel sad for her. I think she has a lot of self-hatred and I believe we need to fast and pray for her because the people who are promoting her are the first ones who will throw her away the moment she begins speaking Hello. the truth. Hello. Uh, but yeah, it's very telling to me when a white individual who has a black friend wants to send it to the black friend they know. You have to ask yourself, how many layers of empathy did you have to walk away from? to do that where is the disconnect right that you're not even able to see that that video is so uncharitable and if your friend is hurting wouldn't you be worried about it hurting her more right it's just it's really disappointing are you are you mad are i'm you, very mad are you are you mad are you upset at what's going on right now i am very upset and i am tired of worrying about being the angry black woman i am angry i am black and i'm a woman um and i'm catholic and i'm angry for all of those reasons mm. and you know i i think part of me also had gone through a journey in the pro-life world i was also dabbling with all these other people who are very prominent in the catholic world who, who do a lot of good work in terms of sacramental living and all this but the deeper i got into that world and the people who they listen to the deeper i was getting into this american conservatism this kind of world and by the time I was I was so deep in it, I was even like afraid to be like, is there is there systemic racism? Am I just playing victim? I know X Y Z happened to me. I know I was called the N word, but oh, I'm just playing victim, you know. <laughs> and so I, I think that's what made me angry. Just when the George Floyd thing happened, and just having two daughters and seeing the kinds of lies I felt like they want me to eat and swallow. It's like. Yes. We can all be friends and hold hands and talk about the black unborn and we'll be good and we'll be praying the pews together. But understand, Linda, that when it comes to racism, it doesn't exist. And if you make me uncomfortable, then I'm just going to send you a Candace Owens video and then eventually, you know, our relationship will end. <laughs> right. And because because there's an understanding that when it comes to race, we're not going to go there. Right. It's hurting you. It's not hurting me. And 
So I don't have anything to lose. Um, and so for me, yes, I am angry. I'm angry because I feel like I had to experience my dignity getting chipped away all the time from things that were being said and done or not said and done. Mm -hmm. And then I had to look at my little daughters who were so innocent and beautiful and think, wow, am I going to expose you to these kind of people, to right. this kind of thinking? Am I going to let you go to confession to a priest who's making these kind of comments, calling right. calling black people who are, who are out there maggots? No, I'm not going to do it. I saw that because today believe, as well. Yeah. I was like, you know what? You may be doing good work for the kingdom of God in terms of your anti-abortion work, but you're falling short on racism. And it is a sin. And for so long, you made me believe as a person seeking orthodoxy that to be a good Catholic, I had to be really angry about abortion. Right. But I had to have no feelings about racism except to view it as this old thing, this thing that's minor. Um, and all the while knowing that it was chipping away at my sense of, of fullness, of dignity. I got on my knees. Richard, at one point in front of my crucifix. And I said, Jesus, does my blackness, is it a good thing? Because these people are making me feel like my blackness is not good and I am inferior. Mm -hmm. And they're also telling me that they are the best examples of good Catholics. So Jesus, I need reassurance from you. Mm -hmm. And God, and he spoke to me. He was like, yeah, you are beautiful and your blackness is beautiful. And I vow never to let my daughters experience that just because they want to be orthodox, good Catholics. Okay, that's, that's, um, that's, that's politics. That's I'm, I'm going to throw a for the listeners out there. I'm about to throw a sarcastic joke in here. Okay, uh, this is sarcasm, and I, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. Did you? Add, was it the white Jesus or the black Jesus on the crucifix? <laughs> Let's see. Carved out. <laughs> looking at this. <laughs> For the record, <laughs> I have no problem with white Jesus, white Anglo-Saxon, blue-eyed Jesus. I have no problem with my beloved black Jesus. I do have a problem with people who want to call out Gloria Purvis, pro-life people calling her out for having a photo or icon of a black Jesus or any person online having a black Jesus while not calling out the Anglo-Saxon, right? Right. Clearly <laughs> I don't have an issue. I have, if you look in our homes, we have statues of marriage look as white as snow. Right. I'm some Our Lady of Cabello. I it's, 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 it's really a problem. People need to realize that the fact that when you see an image of Jesus as black and it bothers you, but it doesn't bother you when he looks like he came from England, <laughs> you have to ask yourself, where is that coming from? That ain't of Jesus. Amen. You know, nothing wrong with white images. I'm actually, I have a problem with people saying we should have no white images. That's, that's, I mean, that's going too far. Like, that's I ignorant. Love that's, but, and, and, I'm, and again, I have to let people know, I, I kind of raised this sarcasm up because of what Sean King said right. uh, a few weeks ago that so he said something very asinine. Uh, he said we should take down all the images of the Eurocentric Jesus and Mary. And, you know, I think Catholics, this is another sarcastic joke. Uh, I think Catholics got all, more upset when they started when they said when he said he should take down the pictures of Mary than Jesus because you know we don't like anybody talking about our blessed mother. Don't mess with my Mary. Okay? Don't mess don't with mess, my mama. Don't mess with my mom. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so again, I'm being a little sarcastic with that, but yet um, in every bit of sarcasm is a little bit of truth, or probably a lot of bit of truth. And again, if you're more upset over the fact that uh, people are calling uh, Jesus white Jesus, black Jesus, 
Uh, if you're more upset than that about that than other issues, then you yes. have a problem. You have a major problem. You need to, yeah. as as my sister said, you need to do some praying and fasting, um, and ask God and have a come to Jesus moment. Um, but I I understand and I agree with you 100 percent as far as the quote unquote pro life movement is concerned. I'm very upset with them because, uh. They're, they are suspiciously absent uh, during this time. I was living in St. Louis. I lived in St. Louis for 20 years, and I was in St. Louis when Michael Brown Jr. was murdered. As a matter of fact, Ferguson, Missouri was three miles from my home, and so I was in the midst of that, and I remember... One day I was doing a, a radio interview for Relevant Radio. It was either Relevant Radio or Ave Maria Radio. And we were talking about the incident uh, where Michael Brown was and how there had been no 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 pr- priests down there or no Catholic people down there. And guess who walked in to be interviewed after after me? The Archbishop of St. Louis. He asked me, he asked me how I'm doing. I said, I'm very disappointed and I'm very upset. And he asked why I said, because you have not been seen down at in Ferguson. I said, you have not been seen in Ferguson. He says, well, I, I've gone down there and I prayed, but it's been at night because I didn't want to cause a problem. I said, Hmm, you went down and under the cover of darkness, I know somebody else that kind of sneaks in under the cover of darkness and it ain't Jesus. I said, but you are Jesus in this particular area and you are absent. I said, your sheep need to see and hear their shepherd. And that's the problem right now in the United States is we're not hearing from our chief shepherds. We're not hearing a, um, uh, a, 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 a constant voice uh, or a what's the word I'm looking for a a a consistent voice where there's no consistency that black lives matter there's no consistency that black lives matter outside of the womb they always want to start pointing to the number of abortions and things of that nature in the black community but they don't want to lift up the the Linda B's that have risen above and beyond they don't want to they don't want to talk about the Barack Obamas they don't want to talk about the Michelle Obamas you know they want to just lift up porn stars you know and say well you know this is this is what a woman is supposed to be like you know i've even had some of my catholic pro life friends call Michelle Obama um, a uh, uh, that she's looked like a monkey, or she doesn't look. She looks like a man. Um, I, I, there, that's a very common thing you would hear, like the, referring to her as a man or as a monkey or whatnot. Like just that racist stereotyping once again. Um, and it gets to the to the fact that racism is a it's a very big sin in this country, in, embedded in, in in this country. And and I, I think. When I look at the people who are pro-life or who identify as being conservative or whatever Mm -hmm. you want to call it, a lot of times I find that they're making their religion more American than Catholic and they're letting their 
their politics, their social, racial, political views dictate the way they mm. seem to live. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Dig deeper into that. They're making their religion more American than than Catholic. Yes. So you're Absolutely. talking more of a political stance versus a religious talking, stance. Yes, I'm talking political. Wow. I'm talking in terms of your views when it comes to from a, from a, your racial lens or culture lens, all of that. Yes. You make that actually become what's guiding you, your politics. Like when you make a god, an idol out of your politics. And then all of these speakers who say what you want to hear become your false messiahs. Right. You know, I, like I think- people are more upset over Colin Kaepernick kneeling, uh, right. kneeling at the flag versus George Floyd being murdered. Yes. I know priests who. Oh, and that's the funny thing. I know priests who, when Kaepernick took a knee, mentioned it in their sermons and they mentioned it because they wanted to criticize him, which to me, I was there's no moral aspect to this anyway. So why would you bring that? That's more that. That, that brand of patriotism because they mm. have this false notion that they are the real patriots and that is not true i am american i love this country okay but, but i love this country and i believe it can be better and it could be a great country for everybody so mm-hmm. you know but my point is those same priests who were commenting on kaepernick and disparaging him where are they not to disparage um the death of george floyd and racial injustice they're quiet and then a building <laughs> and then they want to talk about buildings and they want to talk about looting and they want to deflect from the reason why people are even mourning or upset right so i just think if we want to be honest here if we want to have an honest conversation i think this country the way i look at it when you look at this country, if you look in cameroon then a lot most of the priests are probably going to be cameroonian right Right. You look at America, most of the priests, not only are they American, but they are white American. Because mm-hmm. we don't even have a large Catholic presence in America. Well, these white American males grew up in this country with the same ingrained sort of uh, of notions about what, what whiteness or blackness means. Mm-hmm. They've also been raised with the same misinformation that we have in, in our history books. Um, they've also been raised with the same biases. It doesn't mean that they can't be holy or that they're not you know, able to be shepherding people. But when it comes to race... They need to humble themselves and recognize that this problem, it is a real problem. They also can learn a lot. And certainly if they're leading with empathy, regardless of what they do or don't know, they will at least stop to think that these are part of the flock that Christ has given me to. Mm-hmm. So how does it look when my, my black parishioners are, are, are mourning, they're afraid, they're suffering. And all I'm thinking is, oh, racism is not real anymore. Oh, it stopped. Oh, this, oh, that, oh, you know you get so caught up in this political, social, racial view that you have, and you don't even see that it's actually dictating how you're living out your faith. Right, right. You know, it's very problematic. It's very problematic. So what can we do? What what can we as black Catholics, black pro-life Catholics, what is it that we can do right here and right now? And I, I'm... I'm going to tell you this, and this isn't for you. This is for those that are listening and watching. I'm sick and tired of your thoughts and prayers. I'm sick and tired of thoughts and prayers. Uh, You know, uh, faith without works is dead, the Bible says. And unfortunately, I believe our uh, our faith is dying. What, in your opinion, Linda, can we do to help what's going on right now? 
I would tell people, if you look at the passion and zeal that many Black pro-lifers have put into the pro-life movement, put it into this, to this, to this whole life movement, <laughs> into talking about racism. Uh, I think a lot of Black Catholics, like many Black people, we are, we have been trained to be palatable Black people, to you know, not rock the boat, to mm -hmm. not talk about race. Right. But I think we're realizing that a lot of us, even if we're privileged, like I am, I am privileged to have the job I have and, this, and that kind of thing. But this issue of race, it, it affects me. It affects everyone. Let me let me let me digress. I don't think you're privileged to have that. I think you worked hard for that. Yes, that is a fair point. I, you're not I, privileged. I you worked your butt off to reach that. So no, that was you right. worked for that. That is true. That is true. I worked hard for it. I guess what I meant was I know that I can be blessed in a certain way in terms mm -hmm. of I've worked very hard to get right. where I am and people helped me get here. Right. But my point is it's easy when you can sort of disconnect and say, oh, well, I'm not the person living in this neighborhood or I. Or right. Whatever. That's what I meant. Although clearly if we're looking at what's going on. Yeah. You know, these Karens are coming for everybody. So there's no. <laughs> In Montclair, someone just caught the cops in this lovely couple. And I was like, what is going on? But my point is just, if you're asking me what I think we can do as black Catholics, I would say be proactive. There are there are, there are alleys out there. There are a lot of white Catholics who are amazing, who are who've been talking about this, who want to enter the discussion, who want to see our pain. It's a beautiful thing. Actively find them. Those are the people you need to be fellowshipping with and having your kids have friends is what I would say. Mm -hmm. As a black Catholic, I also think it's important for us to empower ourselves in the sense of read American history, read Catholic history, black Catholic history. I started a group called Black, I and my friend Didi started a group called Black Catholic Fellowship. It is for Catholics seeking Orthodox living um, and having a space where their blackness gets to be acknowledged and they can be guided in trying to grow closer to Christ while having that community. Mm -hmm. I did that because I realized I'm Catholic. I take my faith seriously. I want my daughters to grow up in the faith. Right. Well, if I don't take control of this situation to help them have a safe space to actually live out their Catholic faith, safe meaning people of all races who right. want to recognize the evil of racism. Um, if I don't do that, then I can't be surprised if at the age of 12, they feel uncomfortable because they're around people whose parents have Confederate flags on the car or who are saying, oh, racism isn't a big deal. Um, those are things that I think are important. Um, I think prayer and fasting, in addition to action, like you said, is important. And I would actually say the same way we take prayer with abortion, like 40 days for life, I think we need to start doing that kind of putting that kind of energy, that kind of emphasis on racism. I think a lot of us, blacks included, we've been made to believe um, that racism is like it's not a, a, a church issue. Right. It's not a spiritual issue. Right. And as we're seeing now, it really is. There's a lot of demonic activity in racism um, and it's manifesting in many ways, systemically, personally. So those are things that I would say are important. Amen. What would you say to our brother and sister white white catholics or white friends what would you say to them uh that want to do something that that just don't know what to do they're mm. just they they don't want to say the wrong thing they they're afraid of being the next karen <laughs> <laughs> right. uh what would you say to them first i would say to them that we're our brothers and sisters in crisis. It's not an anti-white thing. It's just an anti-white supremacy or white oppression or whatever you want to call it. Oppression mm -hmm. of any kind is a problem. It's not about you as an individual being attacked or thinking whiteness is a problem because it's not. You were also made in the image and likeness of God, right? Right. right. Um, I, but I would say one thing I would say 
if you are a white American or particularly a white Catholic who wants to empathize with your brothers and sisters in Christ and be and participate, I would say also try to make this your problem the same way you make abortion your problem. You don't say, well, I've been born already. I've been there, done that. I got away from abortions. So I'm good. Right. You still fight the unborn. You don't say that, oh, it doesn't affect you. Well, maybe racism isn't affecting you because of your skin color. But your brothers and sisters in Christ are affected by it. So make it your issue. Don't view it like you're doing your black brothers and sisters a favor when you do something. View it as your issue, as a Catholic, as a person who, who cares about others. Get educated. Um, there are a lot of really good books. There are a lot of good documentaries that are out there. Look them up. You can get on Instagram and uh, just type in things like Catholic or black Catholic. And you'll see a lot of people who are posting things about this. Um, I would say become mindful of things like in your own community, look up black businesses, support black businesses that will support black families. And especially people who are all about personal responsibility and everything, which I am too, but you know, like they love talking about that, but not the systemic responsibility. But <laughs> I, would say, I would say like, if that's a beautiful thing, support black businesses in your neighborhood. If you have black parishioners in your neighbor, in your church, like I'm not saying go up to them and be like, Hey, let's talk about race. But, it doesn't hurt to smile. It doesn't hurt to try and make people feel welcome to look right. around. If you have a black friend, don't be afraid to call them or text them. Hey, I was thinking about you doing this climate with everything going on. How are you? Please let exactly. me know how you feel. I would like to just listen to you. That will mean a lot. My friend did that, by the way. One of my white friends who I love. She called me. And she was the only one who called me. And I cried when she called me. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know the power of that. And, and witnessing <laughs> the universality of the faith and yes. showing that this issue is one that she is saying, I'm walking with you. You are my friend. I don't pretend to know everything you're going through, but I love you, Linda, and I'm, I'm here for you. So I would tell um, white Catholics who want to get involved, those are ways you can do it. Um, I would also advise you to maybe learn more about Black saints, learn more about some blesseds, you know, like we know St. Paquita, Servant of God, Thea Bowman, she's amazing. There are a lot of people, St. Martin de Porres, start to have devotions for them. Start to have images of them in your house. Start to have that become a part of your of your life. Those are ways that you will start to break away from a lot of the, the ways that our church gets promoted in a way that's not reflecting the universality of the church. Mm -hmm. You know, so those are things that I would recommend. And I would say praying and fasting. When you're praying and fasting for the unborn, pray and fast for racism and don't be vague don't pray for for reconciliation and hope pray for re racial reconciliation pray Amen. for racial injustice ask if you don't feel like you understand stuff and you may still have some views you're not sure of go to adoration there's nowhere else you could be that would be better than adoration sit before christ and say to him lord i'm learning there's some things that are going on about race i'm a little defensive i'm a little iffy soften my heart help me lead me in the right direction because i don't want to become a marxist yes you will i got called a marxist a couple of weeks ago <laughs> and you know i will tell you this really quick i know I'm, i get really excited As a, you're asking about college right i yes. will tell you one thing about college when you got kids going to college, being told capitalism is bad, become a communist, become a socialist. And the people who were saying that are the ones saying, fight for the poor, fight against racism, help women who are in need, help immigrants. When they hear that and then they look at where they came from, right. and this place is saying, follow Jesus, go to confession, wait till marriage, don't use contraception, blah, 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 which is all good stuff. Oh, and racism is a joke. Ha, ha, ha. Black Lives Matter suck. Who do you think they're going to yep. go towards? Exactly. They're going to walk away from you and, and they're going to go over there. 
and, and, and you're wondering why it's happening. It's happening because these, this side is telling them a few truths with a, with a lot of other lies in there. <laughs> but it's appealing to a wider sense of humanity. Right. That's just the truth. When you've got all these living people, they, the other side is like mocking, dismissing their pain. Mm -hmm. You know, when you love talking about refugees, like all those Christians being persecuted in the Middle East, but then you don't care about the Syrian refugees. Exactly. College kids see a disconnect in that. When you talk about the black unborn and then you are like mocking Ahmad Arbery when his body isn't even like the blood isn't even tried. Right. They see that. Right. And you're not going to get these college kids who are being told so many lies within their truths that, hey, no, come stay in your Catholic faith. God loves everyone when you're not even doing that. Right. Exactly. And then you lose them. And then they hate capitalism and love communism. And, uh, you know, it's because you're not giving them an alternative. You're All they see on your side is lack of empathy, this sense of you're out on your own, this sense of I don't I would tell you about the struggles that I've never lived. Amen. Yeah. You know, the, and and I hate to say that we got to end this. Um, number one, I want number one, I want to ask you to come back for a part two. Um, <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> good, but because we still got a lot of stuff to, that I want to, a lot of points that I want to cover. But one of the main things that you mentioned was support black businesses. Yes. You know, that's one of the things that I've told people over and over and over. It doesn't matter where you are in the world you can find a black business mm -hmm. uh if you are if you live in uh suburbs then fine you can order from different black companies out there uh and that you can order some sweet sweet potato pies from somebody uh right. you could order you know other things you've got to support black businesses and support black catholic businesses support black catholic churches uh, support. Yeah. Write a check to your black cat, your your the office of Black Catholic Ministries in your diocese. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know the Archdiocese of Washington has an office of Black Catholic Ministries. The Archdiocese of Bo uh, of Washington D.C. The Archdiocese of Boston. The Archdiocese of Detroit, Michigan. These are all wonderful uh, uh, ministries that need help. That need your support. Uh, and I, I, I'd be remiss if I didn't throw my own self in there. You know, I'm I'm sitting up here begging people to donate to help uh, this podcast to, to continue uh, to continue programs like this. People think, well, this is podcast. No, it costs money to be able to put these podcasts. This might cost. Well, actually, this mic was donated, but the stand costs money. The computers cost money. The the technology costs. But people don't want to invest in that. I've had people say, well, Richard, your word needs to, your voice needs to be. Well, if you're willing to put your money behind your mouth, I'd be more than happy to do it. But a lot of people aren't putting their money behind it. And then they want to sit up here and start screaming, well, George Soros. Well, at least George, if it is George Soros, I don't know George Soros. And I'm sure half these people out here talking to don't know him. But if he's putting millions of dollars behind this, then what are you putting behind the opposite? You know, you know, and and again, we've got to continue to support um, uh, to support African-Americans. I mean, you know, support African-American dentists. There are a lot of African-Americans that are in dental school that need financial aid, that need yes. financial help. So why can't you call Meharry Medical School or call, call um, uh, some uh, dental college to say, hey, I want to, you know, give $100 to somebody to, to be able to help get them through college. You know, those are the things that we need to do. Linda, thank you so much for your time. Um, 
It has truly been a blessing. I am going to make sure that we schedule you for a part two uh, okay. when your schedule <laughs> is convenient. Um, because, again, it takes our voices, our voices of compassion, our voices of consistency in order to stop what's going on right now and yes. continue to move on in this nation. Amen. Amen. God bless you and your daughters. Uh, again, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you for the privilege of your time. Those of you that are watching on Facebook and are listening on uh, the podcast, again, I want you to go to SoundCloud, Spotify, as well as Apple Music. Do a search for In Your Lane Podcast. Make sure you smash the subscribe button so you get new downloads. And then also make sure that you give it a five-star rating so we can start getting this voice out there. Uh, if you are willing to be a sponsor, like Linda said, like I said, if you want to help support this black ministry, this black Catholic ministry, please, your donations are needed. It doesn't matter if it's $5 or if it's $5,000. Uh, please, your help is needed. If you would like to sponsor an episode or three or four, please go to richardlaneministries.com forward slash donate. That's richardlaneministries.com forward slash donate. If you would like to donate via Cash App or Venmo, just shoot me an email in your lane podcast at gmail.com. Venmo is at Richard Lane Ministries. Uh, and Cash App is dollar sign Richard Lane and the number 81. Thank you so much for the privilege of your time. Make sure you continue to go to the website, richardlaneministries.com, for more information. Check us out on Facebook. Do a search for Evangelist Richard Lane on Facebook. And until next time, may the road rise to meet you in your lane. God bless you.